please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Hi, welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Matt. And I'm Lenny. This week and the past few weeks have been crazy around here in life in general. I retired from the Air Force effective one November. Our oldest daughter and granddaughters moved in with us. Our middle daughter is living life in Washington State. Our son is trying to decide what to do with his life while living in Washington State. And our youngest daughter is surviving her senior year of high school during the global pandemic. Yeah, you know. On top of that, we work hard at our jobs, trying to have a life outside of this house. Right. <laughs> Just like everyone else is. For sure. So, time's been crazy, just like probably for many of you. Still, that's life, and we make room for doing the things that we enjoy, like riding our motorcycles and doing this podcast. So, this week, we decided to go international, sort of. Same continent, different country, but a serial killer all the same from Canada. And I don't think enough people know about. But things this man did are terrifying. So let's just jump into it. All right. So Robert Willie Picton. Um, I know that what I was reading, it seemed like this guy liked to go by Willie, but I decided to not get that personal with him. So I just refer to him as Robert. But for those of you Canadians who might listen to our podcast who know him as Willie Picton, that's who we're covering today. He's also known as the pig farmer, and he is a Canadian serial killer who was born in 1949 in, I'm going to butcher this, (laughs) Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. He was a third-generation pig farmer who eventually gave up farming and only raised a few pigs to sell to friends and family. He had two siblings, a brother, David Picton, and a sister, Linda Wright, and they inherited the family farm. The parents, Leonard and Helen, bought the pig farm in 1963, and the kids inherited the farm in 1979 when their mom passed away. In 1994 and 1995, the siblings sold parts of the family farm to a local developer, the city, and the school district, earning a total of $5.16 million, becoming instantly wealthy. And then David managed what was left of the farm, and Robert managed the slaughterhouse that was on the farm. Their sister, Linda, went to a boarding school, lived in the city, and was married at the time, and she didn't have anything to do with the farm directly. Some neighbors described Robert as being a quiet man who was nice and didn't drink or smoke, yet we learn later that he and his brother were quite the partiers, so I don't know how true it is that he didn't drink or smoke, and I got a conflicting description in another article. So 
They played it off well, huh? Or right. he played it off well. Yep. So let's get right into this. A couple of years after selling the pieces of the farm, in 1997, Robert was charged with attempted murder of a prostitute named Wendy Eistetter after he tried to stab her. Wendy had told police that she went to the pig farm for drugs and booze, and she had escaped after Robert had tried to handcuff her. She had reportedly stabbed him during the struggle, and he had also stabbed her. And one of the articles that I read said that she had ran to a neighboring farm or a neighboring house or something, and when the neighbors opened up the door, she was literally holding her intestines in. Oh, my gosh. how the cut was. Wow. So, yeah, like... She had escaped during this attack and somehow, I mean, she was going to survive. Don't mess with a man that has a slaughterhouse. Right? (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) So the crazy thing is that this case was dropped because the prosecutors felt that the victim, who was a drug addict and prostitute, was too unstable to give an accurate testimony. The chick's intestines were falling out. Jeez. But anyway. Yeah. Note though, that both Robert and Wendy were treated at the same hospital, and the key to Wendy's handcuffs was found on Robert. So how could they not believe her story? right. This tells me she was telling the truth, but it seems police didn't care because she was a drug addict and a prostitute. And he has money. Yep. So they let it go by letting him go. Crime seems to run in the victim family, too, because Robert's brother, David, had a record of sexual assault from 1988. Oh, wow. Yeah, and also had a record of several traffic offenses, which aren't really a big deal because most of us have a traffic ticket or two in our past. But this shows that the family collectively had some issues. Okay. But I do want to clarify and say that David wasn't a murderer. Okay? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want, if he listens to this podcast, I don't want him to be like, but I didn't kill anyone. No, he did not kill anyone. (laughs) And as far as I know, in one of the articles... He didn't even know what his brother was doing. Yeah. So this family suddenly became wealthy and seemingly bored. They came to be known for throwing wild parties in an abandoned building just outside of their family farm, and they called it the Piggy Palace. (laughs) This is true. Yes. That's awesome. Oh, get this. To pay for their parties, they founded a nonprofit charity organization called the Piggy Palace Good Times Society. And they listed their charity organization as being, quote, to, quote, organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, and exhibitions on behalf of service organizations, sport organizations, and other worthy groups, end quote. Wow. I don't know who determined who the worthy groups were, Mm -hmm. but, you know. Yeah. Hey. it, It worked. So their last party thrown at the Piggy Palace was a New Year's Eve party on December 31st, 1998. When the Picton siblings were sued for violating zoning laws, and they were legally forbidden from throwing any more parties, so apparently the Piggy Palace was like within a city limit or something, and they weren't able. They shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. Plus, they were charged. They were supposedly charging for the beer, charging entrance fees. They didn't have a legitimate business going or anything uh, like that. So, uh, yeah. So they were shut down. Okay. And then two years later, which blows my mind. The charity was dissolved in January 2000 when they couldn't provide mandatory financial statements. So who knows where that money was actually oh, going? Sure. And even after the parties were shut down for two more years, they're still collecting money for their charity. Oh, okay. Right? Nice. So the rich get richer. But I find it odd that they kept the charity going for almost two years past being shut down. Being shut down. Yeah. It just 
it, it's crazy. Maybe they forgot. They just left it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, whoa, all. we got some checks in the mail. <laughs> Let's cash it. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So also, Robert and David were proprietors of a P&B salvage near Vancouver, British Columbia. And in 1999, the Canadian PD received a tip that Robert was keeping human flesh in freezers on his property. This is crazy because a search warrant was obtained, mm-hmm. but the property was never searched. They just... They got the warrant, but never used it. What? Yeah. That's weird. Big mistake. Big mistake. Did they get some other big thing going on and they just went, whoop, okay, we got to deal with this now for didn't, a minute? It didn't say. It. Like, what happened? It just noted that they got this warrant. They yeah. had this tip, but then they never did anything. Somebody's paid off. Right? Maybe they're just rich. The farm itself was known as a house of horrors with empty buildings that were in disrepair, scrap metal rusting away, dogs and pigs roaming freely, and blood due to the slaughterhouse where he slaughtered the pigs. It was care- it was compared to Ed Gaines' House of Horror and Dismemberment in Wisconsin, the stuff that horror movies try to recreate because it messes with our minds. Just an overall creepy-ass farm. Wow. And if you look at pictures, it really is. It is pretty you wouldn't, gruesome. Yeah, you wouldn't know these people were millionaires. Yeah. It looks like backwoods, wrong turn kind of yeah. stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So... During Robert's reign of terror, women in Vancouver were just disappearing from the streets without a trace. And the east side, you know, just to note, like, the atmosphere or whatever, the east side of Vancouver was known to be the poorest area in Canada. There was a lot of crime, drug abuse, homelessness, mental illness, and prostitution. It was known as, quote, low track or skid row, end quote. Okay. In the middle of this paradise, (laughs) you know, because that's what it is, (laughs) Sexual predators just ran the streets. Women, or rather prostitutes, were beaten, raped, robbed, etc. every day in this area. So it was pretty rough. And it was it was noted that the favorite hangout place for all of these people was the Piggy Palace or the pig farm itself. So that's they loved to go there and party. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Well, too, you wonder what other kinds of people were going there like political types, people that are known of the city. I don't know. As far as those types, and then they don't want to have their name linked with this Piggy Palace place, with prostitutes, and how they got out of some things. Well, now you're reaching, though, because it doesn't mention anything like that. I don't know. I'm Um, just, well. You go ahead and you have your conspiracies. I will. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Many relatives reported that their family members never returned from the parties at the Piggy Palace or visits to the pig farm for that matter, but the reports were largely largely ignored by the police. It was noted that the police were aware that these parties were thrown and where and that the prostitutes attended the parties, but nothing was ever done. The um, This lends to the theory that no one cared because the, these people were usually considered to be the dregs of society. And the police claimed that the nature of the prostitution life made it difficult to know if a woman was actually missing or not. The first woman who was on their list disappeared in 1983. Almost 20 years later, the police finally acknowledged that one man may have been responsible for the disappearances of over 60 women. Jeez. 20 freaking years, years of sitting on it because they're prostitutes and drug addicts. Mm-hmm. It just blows my mind that we ever had this kind of mentality, but... Anyway, this is not that long ago either if you're looking at the dates. Just want to note that. Could yeah. have been me. But anyway, so 
From 1998 to 2002, a report written from research done by the Canadian Association of Sexual Assault Centers claimed that over 30 women went missing since, quote, police first investigated Picton as a suspect in 1997, end quote. 30 women. Jeez. This group was investigating how the stigma of prostitution allowed so many women to go missing with no interest from the police. And of course, police are saying no one was reporting anything going wrong at the farm, so they had no reason to suspect anything because no one was coming forward to make a complaint. But that's not true, as we noticed already. However, in 1999, Inspector Kim Rosmo said he believed that there was a serial killer in the area. So there's someone who's taking notice and he's like, hey, guys, we need to be checking this out. But guess what? Police department dismissed the claim from one of their own inspectors. It was like, didn't take it seriously. Mm. So it took the women's families and local activists getting involved to take to get the police to take it seriously enough to form a task force and begin a serious investigation. They even offered a reward for information at this point. Finally, they start paying attention, Mm -hmm. which is so sad. I think in one of our other uh, podcasts, you had mentioned something about wondering if families put pressure on cops to start investigating something. Well, in this case, they did. They did. They started putting the pressure on. And it worked, luckily. Yeah, that's good. Yep. So on February 5th, 2002, the police received a tip about illegal firearms at the pig farm, and they got a warrant and raided the farm. So just to kind of pause here, they, they didn't take seriously missing people, but they got a tip about illegal firearms and they're like, oh, we better get out there. <laughs> I just okay. want to know how weird that is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. While I wonder out- if they use that as an excuse. Like, oh, we got a tip of illegal firearms. So. I don't know. People can't no, see it- your air quotes, but you did air quotes when you said tip. But when I said tip mm-hmm. like that, like. Yeah, but I'm just saying, people can't see your air quotes, but I get what you're saying. I just want to let them know you're doing air quotes for like that tip thing. But it's just, how do you, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how they come about it. I, somebody must have tipped them off and said, there's firearms out here. Well, they're out there looking for the firearms. They saw things on the farm that led them to get another search warrant to go back and search for missing women. They arrested Robert on February 22nd. But for the next two years, police searched the pig farm for human remains. They searched through trailers and buildings on the property, sifted through tons of dirt, and had to fly in forensic experts to determine if parts were human or pig. When it was all over, the police said that they found thousands of human DNA samples. Mm. Thousands. Wow. Now, note, human DNA samples, is that that saliva? You know, sweat stuff like that from Mm -hmm. parties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thousands of human DNA samples. Is that one person who's been spread all over the place because the pigs have eaten them and drugged them all over the place? Because these pigs are roaming freely Mm -hmm. on the pig farm? I mean, I don't know what thousands consist of, but it's kind of crazy. It's a lot. So based on the DNA samples, the first charges brought against Robert were from victims Mona Wilson and Serena Abotsway. But as time went on and the police recovered more DNA samples from the farm, Robert was charged with an additional four murders for a total of six up to this point by April. Robert was charged with 26 murders total by 2005. Mm. 
Okay. By 2007, he was convicted of the first six murders, but the other 20 murders were stayed in 2010. From what I can tell, this was due to a lack of evidence. And and I'll get into that. But a stay in legal terms, just in case anyone doesn't understand what that means, is where a court stops or suspends a proceeding or temporary or trial temporarily or indefinitely. Okay. So they just don't have enough. So they're like, okay, we just there was a huge discrepancy between how many victims Robert claimed to have had and how many victims DNA the police found and how many he was convicted of killing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So he claims this m- number of people when he started confessing. They had this many victims' DNA, or not victims so much, but this many people's DNA, and then they were able to convict him only of six. Yeah. It's, it's just weird. So I think that's where this day came from. But that's just me. This showed the effectiveness, though, in my opinion, of disposing of bodies on a pig farm. Not to give anyone any tips or anything, but (laughs) yeah, it left victims' families with no closure. They found the DNA of one woman on a saw at the farm. The belongings belongings of 20 missing women, which doesn't mean anything. It just means that the women were there at some point. Mm -hmm. The DNA of 10 women in freezers, along with some DNA that was found in the ground meat in those freezers. Wow. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit too. Yummy. Yeah. A release came out during the investigation of the farm that some of the pig meat had been blended with human remains and distributed or served to people. He didn't sell commercially, but Robert and his brother David had done pig roasts at their parties at the pig palace and served it to the locals as well as giving some to friends. And the public didn't react well to this news. I wouldn't either. (laughs) No, No, me either. I'd probably be very sick. Also, after Robert's arrest on February 22nd, while he was in his cell, the police put an undercover cop in his cell, and he ended up confessing to the undercover cop. I watched the video, and it was definitely disturbing, and I'll post it on our website. He confessed to how he disposed of the bodies at a, quote, rendering plant, end quote, and that he killed 49 women, but had hoped to kill at least one more to reach, quote, the big 5-0, end quote. Yeah, he was going hashtag, for 50. Hashtag goals. Oh, my god, That's horrible, though. It is Jeez. horrible, but yes, that fit perfectly. Hashtag mm-hmm. goals. Oh, my gosh. After a few minutes, the police pulled the undercover cop out if of the... If you're not trying, you're dying. Shut up. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Jeez. I had to throw that in there at least. Thanks. A little something-something. Oh, my gosh. I don't even, I don't even know what to do with you. So after a few minutes during this video, the police pulled the undercover cop out of the cell. And while Robert was in his cell alone, he stripped down naked and masturbated. It's noted that often serial killers get turned on by their memories of the past, their past kills. And it seems that Robert was no different Mm. while telling this guy who he thought was just his cellmate about his exploits. He got a little turned on, decided to handle business while his roomie was right there. Oh, was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. so sick because it was all on video they cut that part out you see him strip but then after that yeah, they're it's like, done. Oh. so during the times of the disappearances of these women there were several notable serial killers in the pacific northwest that were considered and eliminated as suspects like gary ridgeway george waterfield russell keith hunter jesperson robert yates dayton leroy rogers just to name a few there were quite a few more Like these killers, Robert chose his victims because he didn't think 
they would be reported missing very quickly, if at all, due to them being prostitutes and drug abusers who he assumed didn't have much contact with family. So he thought it would take a long time for them to Mm -hmm. even come up missing, let alone be found. So Robert had no definitive line that the authorities were able to draw to determine when he first began to murder women. There is a possible time frame from 1978 to 2001, but he was only convicted of murders that happened between 1997 and 2001. Around 65 women disappeared from the east side of Vancouver between 1978 and 2001. And even after what is now considered the largest serial killer investigation in Canadian history, authorities can't determine which one was his first. It's it's crazy. Mm. The earliest victim authorities were able to tie to Robert was Diana Melnick in 1995. They found her DNA spread all over the farm. However, they weren't able to take Robert to trial for her murder because they didn't have enough evidence and they weren't able to recover her body or any pieces of her body. Mm, they just found this, DNA. some part of DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm. They came all over the place, but yeah. This was the case for most of his um, known or supposed victims. Okay. Or not supposed, but assumed victims. It was also learned during the investigation that Robert would lure his victims to his pig farm where he assaulted them, either strangling them or shooting them on his farm where no one would hear the gunshots or hear the women scream. He basically tortured them from what I got. Yeah. Uh, And he would then feed them to his pigs. And whether he fed them while they were alive or dead wasn't clear either. Just if you want your imagination to run wild. He he also had the slaughterhouse on his property, which is normal for if you have a pig farm. farm You're going to have a slaughterhouse, right, to just get the meat. So he had means to get rid of every trace of the person if the pigs didn't take care of it all. And... This was a disadvantage to police because they weren't able to convict him of all the murders. They were sure that he commi- committed. Like, they know that he did this, but they they didn't have evidence to even bring it to court. And it was an advantage for Robert because he got away with murders due to his, his ability to dispose of bodies. It's just, and it's just sick. I kind of wondered, too, if, like, they never had that, the piggy palace, how long he would have been able to... Like, if you just cut that out, that whole thing... But then how are you learning? Like you have to physically go down and and pick. Yeah. And he could have done that. Yeah. Yeah. He could have. And I just wonder if, if he would have been, you know, took that much longer to catch this guy or still be out today. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I don't know. And, you know, they, for that matter, like, where'd you get the idea to feed them to your pigs? Like, why would you even want to feed humans to pigs? I just don't Mm -hmm. think of doing that. But, of course, he's a pig farmer, so he knows what the pigs are capable of. Mm -hmm. Whereas I actually had to look it up. So I I found that pigs will eat through a human body thoroughly, like totally eat through, whether it's dead or alive, they will eat through the body. So what I read was there was like a story of a 2012 pig farmer in Oregon who went missing on his own land. And while they were looking for him on his farm, they found his dentures had fallen outside of the pig pen and then they looked inside the pig pen and they found his remains. Okay. And, and it was like, he was almost unidentifiable. They were able, the thing was they weren't able to determine it was so thoroughly eaten bones and everything. Like these pigs will eat anything. Mm -hmm. Um, he was so thoroughly dismembered that 
they couldn't tell if he had maybe had a heart attack or something and fallen into the pen mm-hmm. or if the pigs had attacked him yeah. and killed him. There's just no way of knowing. No. And that's so crazy. But that also showed me what it meant when the articles I was reading about um, of what he did to his vic- of what Robert did to his victims, what it meant when they said that he had the means to dispose of them. So if the pigs didn't eat everything, then he could take what was left and throw it into like a grinder. Processor grinder type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And now it's gone. Yeah. Like all gone. Oh gosh. So sick. It's so sick. So this method of disposing of the bodies left so little evidence that even though Robert confessed to 49 murders, he was only able to be convicted of the six. Yeah. So sad for mm-hmm. the families of these victims. So Yeah. That's the end of our uh, story of the Canadian pig farmer turned serial killer, Robert Jeez. Picton. This guy was just sick. Just choosing to kill women he thought he wouldn't, that wouldn't be missed. And I'm glad he didn't get his 50 victims. You know, like I'm glad he didn't yeah, make his left goal. Left at 49. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, exactly. Though I didn't, I don't know the details of his trial. They didn't have much about that. I think Canada has a lot of laws about releasing that information mm-hmm. from what I was seeing. But I do know that the jurors took 10 days to decide his fate and he was convicted of second degree murder. Why second degree? I don't know. Because to me, it seemed like it should have been first degree, but maybe that's all they could get. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years, which was the maximum sentence he could have received at that time in Canada. So I don't know if they've changed their laws, but... um, that's what the that's wow. what the article noted. He got the maximum that he could. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this guy, this guy is a piece of work. Man, I know. I do have a list of like several of his victims or whatever, but I'll just post them on our website because there there's no point in naming them off or anything right now. Sure, sure. But yeah, that's the that's the story of the pig farmer. All right. So as Lenny said, we'll post the links to our to the website. And like always on Wickedness True Crime and the Unknown.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Wickedness True Crime. You can also find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash wickedness. And you can support us on that site as well by clicking on support. You can email us at wickedness true crime at yahoo.com or contact through our website as well. We would love to hear from you. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.